There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped in Grant, We still don't know who pulled the trigger. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon, a retired 27-year veteran, sergeant of the NYPD. And with me here today, retired NYPD detective and straight out of Brooklyn, Phil Grimaldi. How are you doing today, Phil? I'm doing pretty good, Billy. Still a little chilly. I talked about that the other night in that little ad that we did. And, uh, yeah, it's, but, uh, it's it's like the calendar is uh, is off. I mean, it's the end of April and uh, still wearing jackets and stuff. But uh, April showers bring May flowers. But let's yes. have some uh, sun in there, too, you know? Yeah, well, it's a sunny day today. Still, still a little chilly, though. So, Phil, we have a, a very disturbing case coming from Terrible. Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. Terrible. And it, it first came in as a, uh, a missing person case of a, a, te- a beautiful 10-year-old girl. Uh, oh, my God. Her name is Lily Peters. And, I mean, I hear, this is the most heartbroken picture there. The one on the right, you see what a little child she is, you know. And um, she went out for a ride on her bicycle on Sunday, and um, her parents reported her missing when she didn't return from her aunt's house, which is only five blocks away. Um, and the, the most horrendous thing did occur. They found her body and on a walking trail and they asked the public for their help. And over 200 tips came in, in regards to this case. And they made an arrest of a 14 year old suspect in the death of 10 year old Lily Peters. Uh, this individual who authorities are, um, they're not put, putting his name out there right now. I saw one news station did put his name out there, but because he's 14 years old, they're really not putting his name out. Although one, as I said, one news station, the Daily uh, Daily Reporter, uh, chose to put his name out there. I'm going to keep his name uh, private for now. He um, admitted that he punched, strangled, and sexually assaulted Lily Peters. And... He admitted to detectives that he had planned to rape and kill Peters as of Sunday night when he began following her down a trail after she left her aunt's home. Lily was known to the uh, perpetrator, so they weren't strangers to each other. Um, So you can imagine when this kind of um, crime occurs that the neighborhood was crazy. This is a very sleepy little neighborhood, Chippewa Falls, even the name itself uh, makes it sound like a little sleepy uh, neighborhood. And I think the no one, of course, was relieved to hear that Lily was discovered murdered and sexually assaulted. However, they were relieved that there was an arrest and they were relieved that there was no um, threat to the rest of the public because of this assault and that they did, in fact, make a quick arrest. Just to our listeners, one of the things I want you to know that when a juvenile is arrested, they take painstaking care uh, to see that the juvenile's rights are not violated. One of the things is a juvenile, uh, and it used to be in New York, used to be under 16. Now I believe it's they raised it to 18, uh, could not be 
interviewed or interrogated without a parent or legal guardian present who had to uh, wave Miranda along with the juvenile. They both had to wave Miranda. Uh, that means the rights of a person in custody or else they couldn't be interviewed. So there must have been a parent or legal guardian along with the 14-year-old perpetrator who made a full confession about his premeditation and about his conduct towards, towards uh, little 10-year-old Lily. Just a horrendous, horrendous case. Phil, comments? Uh, where do I start? This is just, um, it's an unbelievable story. It's terrible. It's disgusting. Um, a little 10-year-old girl. Uh, when I read uh, the article that I did read on this, Apparently he, he must have at some point, he punched her in the stomach. He knocked her to the ground. He began to strangle her. Then he hit her with a stick. He sexually assaulted her and he strangled her to death either before or after he sexually assaulted. I think that that part was a little unclear. Now, I don't even like saying those words, what I just read regarding a 10-year-old little girl. I mean, I don't like saying it about anybody, but a 10-year-old girl. Now, I had a very similar case in 1986 when I was in anti-crime. And I'll talk about that a little bit later on in the show, because I want to give a little background on what turned out to be uh, the perpetrator's uh, home life, what went on in his home. Now, again, we have a 14-year-old suspect here. Where does a 14-year-old suspect get uh, these kind of ideas into his mind to do such a horrendous thing. And there's a possibility he could, he's known to her, could be even related to her. So uh, we're going to get into that, but it just boggles my mind. It's terrible. It's disgusting. These are the type of cases that will stay with, uh, obviously the first responders, uh, the investigators. It's terrible. Uh, I think we should all say a prayer for this little girl. Uh, just keep her in your thoughts and prayers today. It's a horrendous, horrendous case. And what caused this 14-year-old to do such a unbelievable, unbelievable, violent thing to this little 10-year-old girl? Well, we're going to get into that, Phil. Let me play, first play a little bit of News Nation's report on this. Uh, get this now. Good evening to you. I'm Marnie Hughes. We begin tonight with breaking news. An arrest made in a horrific crime in a small Midwest community. The murder of a 10-year-old girl. Her name is Lily Peters. Just moments ago, authorities announced that they have a juvenile in custody in connection to Lily's death. Peters was found murdered near a popular trail just days ago. She got on her bike to go home, but she never made it there. Her killing has sent shockwaves through this small Wisconsin city, schools and law enforcement urging parents to be vigilant and keep an eye on their children. Many wondered if there was a killer living among them. And tonight, we know that is true with this shocking development in the last hour. Correspondent Kelly Beeson joining us with the very latest details and what we're hearing from police at this hour. That's right, Marnie. Well, authorities in this case say they received hundreds of tips. And just moments ago, this startling news from police. This evening, we arrested a juvenile suspect in this case. The suspect was not a stranger. Suspect was known to the victim. We do not believe there is any danger to the community. 
And again, police have been working tirelessly since discovering Lily Peters' body. Many questions remain, including how she died. But you heard there, we now know that the suspect in custody is a juvenile male known to Lily. She was just a sweet, innocent little girl. There needs to be some type of justice here. In a city of 14,000, purple ribbons show signs of support for a community grappling with the news. It's just so sad that this happened and I just don't really know how to put it into words. I don't think we've actually grasped it yet. It comes after 10-year-old Ileana Peters, also known as Lily Peters, was found dead near a wooded trail Monday morning. Police calling the case an active homicide investigation. The people of our community are honest, hardworking, and kind-hearted. It is almost impossible to believe that something this horrific could happen in our city. 9 p.m. Sunday night, Lily's father reported she had not returned home from a visit to her aunt's house, a location about five blocks away. Officers later found a bike in the woods near a walking trail north of both residences. Monday morning, the coroner's office confirming the body found in that same area is the body of Lily Peters. There's just a void, there's there's a sadness, um, a deep hurting. Just knowing that she went down that trail and that was that, the, the same trail my kids walked down by themselves all the time. It was, it was a safe place up until Sunday. And police saying now that there's no further threat to the community, we heard that Marnie, but you know, for those hours in between, the district was telling families to pick up their students, you know, don't let them walk or ride their bikes to school out of an abundance of caution. And obviously a lot of fear uh, throughout the entire city. No, it's, it's terrifying. You yeah. don't want to let your kids out of your sight. And now we wait to hear more about who this young man is, how he knew Lily, and exactly what happened to her. Kelly, appreciate that. Thank you. So, folks, I, I know a lot of you people in the chat are um, uh, printing that he turns out to be Lily's cousin. And that may very well be the facts. It may be that he is her cousin. One of the things that I learned very shortly before coming on the air was that the perpetrator, his father, has, is in state prison for pedophilia, for collecting uh, images of underage girls on his computer screen and he was arrested for that i believe he was sentenced to three years now if that's the environment that this young man was raised in psychologically psychologically we can somehow understand where this came from not totally but understand he's from a really tainted background to say the least and he has this sexual proclivity i mean just think about murder. If this is his cousin, never mind a cousin, she's 10 years old. I mean, to look at someone that's 10 years old as a sexual object, you really, you have some problems also. But here he is, follows her on a bike trail. And he, of course, she probably trusted him. She knows the guy. If it's her cousin, she knows him. She grew up with him. And him, in his statement, premeditated that he intended to murder and rape her is... It's, it's horrendous. It's really horrendous. Billy, I think uh, in that clip that you played, that little girl that made a statement, uh, she was holding her mom's hand. Uh, she said she didn't even have any words. I agree with that. I mean, just out of the mouth of babes, uh, uh, such a, 
uh, a little young girl uh, is left speechless. This is a deranged individual. Now, I'd like to just talk about the case that I, I referenced early on about 1986. Um, we had a, a, a call where a, a young girl, 10 years old, had been stabbed uh, and sexually assaulted. And we got to the scene. Thank God the first officer on the scene was an officer by the name of Frank Alvarez, police officer Frank Alvarez. I want to give him kudos because he was an EMT. He had the uh, state of mind to take a piece of plastic and put it over the chest wound. Girl had been stabbed with a very large kitchen knife in the chest. Uh, had he not did that, I don't think she would have survived. But as she was going into the ambulance, uh, uh, Frank had uh, applied this uh, plastic from a, actually from a garbage bag over her chest. She regained consciousness and she was able to tell us who the perpetrator was, that it was her brother's friend. He had used a ruse to get into the apartment. And when we went to the location, uh, the brother's home, uh, we, we knocked on the door. The door was ajar. It was an apartment building about a block away from the scene where the incident happened. When we opened the door, we pushed open the door, the mother and father, this was the middle of the day. This was two 30 and three o'clock in the afternoon were having sex on a couch just inside the apartment with children. They were completely naked with children running around in the apartment. We were able to get their attention uh, and we were able to get the suspect and take him into custody, a 13-year-old boy. And you say that the proclivity, sexual uh, uh, proclivity to, to have this in your mind, obviously this kid was exposed to uh, adults having sex uh, like it was nothing out in the open. And I don't know what went through this uh, on the case that I talked about, my case, uh, what went through this kid's mind to do what he did. He he used a ruse. He wound up uh, raping her. He did unspeakable things. I won't even mention what he did. And then he took this large ki kitchen knife and thrust it into her chest to kill her. However, she wound up surviving. Uh, we made the arrest and the kid went to jail for the crime. But again, it's a very similar type of situation. That was a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old. This is a 14-year-old and a 10-year-old. So uh, just shocking. It's quite shocking. Alexandra Halsey, not only is the father a convicted sex offender, the killer's mother's boyfriend has very disturbing content on his Facebook. The more I learn, the more upset I get. Look, things that you expose kids to have a direct effect on their psyche, on how they react, how they interact with people. And to this young boy, 14 years old, and I, I consider a young boy 14 years old a boy, uh, you know, he was influenced by this. And it, somehow that gives him a permission that this is okay. This behavior is okay. Butterfly Dana, right, Bill? I wonder before his dad was sent to prison, was something going on with him and dad on visits if he stays with his dad at all. You know, from what I understand, the mother is no uh, all-star either. You know, this is a really dysfunctional type of family. Uh, and it's just all of those things will come into this investigation, even though he confessed. A confession is never the slam dunk. A judge could throw the confession out. A judge down the road could say, I'm going to throw this confession. Family court is no, this case, believe it or not, as heinous as it is, it could wind up in family court. I've seen it done before. This, in my opinion, this case should be an adult, big boy, uh, adult court. If he gets convicted, he should get 25 to life or life in prison. He's 14, but he this was premeditated. He understood what he was doing. This was pure, pure evil. But there are many people in the criminal justice system that will 
think it's more important his infancy, as it's known as, being under the age of um, responsibility, they would call it, or culpability. Some would say, oh, he's, he's just a boy. He understood what he was doing. He killed a 10-year-old girl and sexually assaulted her. I think he goes to big boy court, and I think he goes to big boy prison if he's convicted of this. Phil? Well, I would think that, uh, listen, from our experience as investigators, uh, we know from previous cases and, and history, um, there's a good chance that he have been, may have been sexually molested as a child. And therefore, like we say many, many times, past behavior behavior is indicative of future behavior. Now, the violence part of it, uh, it's really deranged when you think about the violence part of it. But again, uh, this could have been uh, manufactured in his brain that he wanted to commit this sexual act. And the only way to do it was, and to get away with it was to, was to kill the victim. And, you know, uh, I raised three daughters. Um, anytime that my kids went over to someone else's house, uh, I would always ask my wife and I would question who else is home in the house? Who's around these kids? Is there an uncle that's living there that maybe could have possibly a criminal history or things like that? Who is the family? Who's the older brother? These are all the things that parents uh, need to focus on. And again, uh, if he's a relative, he's a friend, he's some type of a relationship. He's not a stranger to this young girl. Were her parents aware of uh, who this boy was? Were they aware of who the parents were, who the mother's boyfriend were? I don't know the answers to those questions, but I think that those are the type of questions that when you raise a child and uh, boy or girl, you need to have these uh, questions put to uh, friends, uh, relatives, uh, any place that your child is going to be. Uh, your child needs to be in a state safe haven, so to speak, when they're at someone else's house, even relatives. Uh, I mean, listen, it, it's, it's something that needs to be questioned. Uh, when you see these horrendous cases, I don't care if you're going to insult someone, my child or your child's safety is more important than upsetting someone by asking them a question like who else is going to be home in the house where my child is going to be for the next couple of hours. So again, I, I don't want a Monday morning quarterback this situation. It's horrible. I'm just trying to point out things that I did personally with my children growing up, things that I question, maybe because I'm in law enforcement. I have that background that, and I've saw many cases like this that I, I question that, but it's just, uh, it's really just simple common sense to me. When you have children, you need to know who they're going to be with and who else is going to be home in that house or wherever it is they're going to be. Phil, you know, I have a few um, uh, predictions here. I would predict that this 14-year-old is probably a special ed student. I would just predict that because he has an extremely dysfunctional family. I can't see that he was a good student. I'm just predicting this. I'm also predicting that he says... Uh, extreme psychological problems. And I wonder if his school saw that or uh, were able to, you know, of course you'll you hear all these libs saying, oh, if he would have gotten help, you know, but he didn't get help and he killed somebody, he killed a 10-year-old girl. You know, what you were saying before about um, wanting to know who was home at the houses where your daughters visited friends, that's very important. You know, I was, uh, besides being a homicide sergeant, I used to supervise Manhattan special victims a lot. And I would go out on a lot of special victims cases. And one of the uh, constants was that a lot of sex crimes happen within families. Uh, and one of the biggest problems were extended families 
living in the same household under the same roof. Not a good idea. Not a very good idea. You know, Uncle So-and-so, we just found out, was having sex with his niece since she was 12 years old. You know, I've seen cases like that. Horrendous. So I, this, the reason I'm bringing this up is when you compare this case, this case had this kid, the 14-year-old, had some horrendous influences in his life. His father, who was a pedophile, his mother seemed to have a boyfriend that was uh, not too cool either. So he had some horrendous influences in his house. And like, if you're another parent allowing your children to play with him or go to his house, you're unaware of these influences unless, you know, other people let you know about it, you know? So you're 100% right to be uh, wary of where your kids go, who they're with. Uh, now with cell phones, they're a little safer because you can check in on them all the time. When we grew up, I remember when I was six years old, right out of kindergarten, I went right over a friend's house. My parents had the police searching all over. I just didn't think of, oh, I should go home after school. And there was no cell phones. And I didn't think of calling my parents. And my parents were like, you know, a six-year-old. That's pretty serious if he doesn't come home from kindergarten, you know. Absolutely. You know, Billy, uh, the, the cell phone technology today, I've talked about this before. I have a thing on my phone and my children have it as well. It's called Life360. So if my daughter is running late or something like that, I could go on the phone and I could look at what her exact location is. Uh, you know, a 10-year-old walking around with a cell phone, that might not be so, uh, you know, people might not want to do that at a young age, but I think it's something that should be considered. Uh, they could know the exact location of the person who has that cell phone or where it is at the time, you know, that if, if someone's late or whatever like that. Um, yeah, just listen, I, I've said things before that I'm going to bring up right now. If I upset somebody and I don't get a Christmas card from them, I'm okay with that because the safety of my child and, and everybody that's out there, the safety of your child, there's nothing more important. So if you ask a question like, who is the extended family in that house and they get upset by it, you know what? Maybe they're not worth being friends with you. You know, that's the way you got to look at it. Your children's safety is more important than anything in the world. And, um, uh, this is just, it's really upsetting. This is just an upsetting case. And, uh, you know, I just hope that uh, we could say things that could possibly prevent something like this from happening in the future. Infamous truth teller. Uh, statistics show that predators in that aspect are most always never strangers. They are someone close to you or a family member. Well, that's what I was just um, talking about, infamous truth teller. But thank you for um, for your comment. Bill, I just want to make a quick prediction too. You said that there's a good chance this kid is going to wind up being uh, special ed. I'm going to go out and say that there's a, a probably a, almost a hundred percent chance that this kid was at the hands of physical and possibly sexual abuse during his life. I would say that's almost a hundred percent. If you look at profiles of sexual predators and uh, people that do this type of stuff, that profile is probably almost 99 to a hundred percent of the time. That person was either physically or sexually abused. Now physically abused could be just horrible beatings, uh, sexually could lead to the sexual component on this case. But I think that that's probably going to be uh, when we find out who this person is, uh, find out about their past, we're going to wind up seeing probably all three of the things that you and I have outlined, uh, special ed, possibly uh, physical and sexual abuse. I think those are going to be right in there as well. I think you're right. Michelle Ballard, thank you so much for the 449 thank super you. sticker. We appreciate it. 
Infamous truth teller. Uh, you have another gem here. Um, police off the cuff. One of his brothers died of an overdose and the other by suicide. I mean, if that's true, obviously this kid's uh, extremely psychologically damaged. I, I can't, you know, infamous truth teller. I'm not doubting. Obviously, that's why your name is infamous truth teller. You're always telling the truth. But I didn't, I don't know what source you got that from. So I don't know if it's 100% true. But we're trying to outline all the things that potentially this young man, 14 years old, what could make him commit murder and a sexual assault of a 10 year old? Think and about those two things, Billy. I mean, you have a situation where if, if both of those are true, both traumatic events, one dies of an overdose, that would mean that there was some type of drug uh, interaction going on in the home, and the other one dies from a suicide, both very traumatic events. And, you know, when you're young and you're in the, you know, you're, you're in the development stages, uh, just those two things alone could uh, affect your personality, uh, propensity towards violence, uh, uh, on, you know, just the crazy sexual behavior, just those two things alone. And we're going to find out, I, I could be almost certain that we're going to find out the other three things that we, uh, that we highlighted that we think are going to be part of this, uh, this 14 year old's background. Are on hand and we can see that the police chief right there, Matt Kelm is walking to the podium now. Good evening. Thank you for coming. I'm Matthew Kelm. I am the police chief for the Chippewa Falls Police Department, and I'm providing an update on the homicide investigation. First and most importantly, earlier this evening, we arrested a juvenile suspect in this case. The suspect was not a stranger. The suspect was known to the victim. We do not believe there is any danger to the community at this time. While nothing will bring Lily Peters back or change what happened, we are very grateful to be able to deliver this news for the family and for the community. While driving through town and through our communities, we can see the purple ribbons, and honestly, I would expect nothing less from the Chippewa Falls community, Chippewa Valley, and our surrounding communities. A tremendous amount of work has gone into this investigation by a large team of investigators, including those at the federal, state, county, and local level. Law enforcement has been working on this case 24 hours a day since this call came in less than 48 hours ago. First of all, I want to thank the community for the over 200 tips that we have received. These tips were critical to solving this case. Our security team has and will continue to hold the crime scene, which is the wooded area around the footpath between the north end of Grove Street and the Linekugel Brewery parking lot. This is important to the integrity of the investigation, and we would ask that you continue to avoid this area. The Wisconsin Department of Justice Crime Lab processed the crime scene last night. At that time, the body of Lily Peters was removed by the coroner's office. A forensic autopsy is being conducted. Investigators executed a search warrant at 422 North Grove Street. Evidence was collected and additional interviews were conducted. That is all the new information I have at this time. There is still much work to be done. Please contact the tip line if you have information you think we should know. The number is 1-800-263-5906. 
Again, 1-800-263-5906. The line will remain up until noon tomorrow. After that time, you can contact the police department's non-emergency number. Our thoughts continue to be with the family through this terrible time. We would ask everyone to keep them in your thoughts while respecting their privacy as they grieve. This is still an active investigation. I wanted to note some of the agencies that were involved in this. We had over 70 officers working this case just today, uh, close to 20 agencies, including the Department of Justice, uh, DCI, FBI, Wisconsin Crime Lab, Eau Claire Police Department, Menominee Police Department, Altoona Police Department, the Cali Police Department, Cornell Police Department, Ladysmith Police Department, Eau Claire County, Dunn County, Russ County, Chippewa County, Wisconsin State Patrol, Wisconsin DNR. All right, I don't think we need the list of all the people that worked this case. It's like, the, you know, in a way, taking, a, you know, spiking the football, as they call it. One of the things that uh, I want all you folks to know is, yeah, there's been an arrest right now, all right? There's been an arrest. There's been a confession. However, the case is not over. Investigators must still, I always, well, I do it, uh, I put my arms way out here. The case is way out here right now. You want to bring that case in and fine-tune it so every T is crossed and every I is dotted, and there's nothing that you forgot to do. One of the things i just like to mention right now, I would get, almost guarantee that this 14-year-old boy has a social worker assigned to his family. He's got a dysfunctional family. So that's part of the investigation, too. Let's see the last time the social workers met with that family. I want to know this boy's complete uh, history at school. We, Phil and I predicted he's a special ed student. What's his situation with his father? I saw some papers on his father, the convicted pedophile who had 50% visitation rights. He was actually, father was out of prison and in a halfway house. You know, he's got some damaging influences around him, this young 14-year-old. And look, I will be the first to say a 14-year-old is a kid. It's still a kid. But you know something? When you cross over into the devil and into hell and cross over and commit a crime like this, all of a sudden you're escalated and you become a man that day because you just did a, a crime of an adult. Many people may disagree. You're going to have some, uh, you know, some real left-wing woke people going to say, oh, he's a young man. Give him a second chance. He should go to family court and he should he should get help. You know, before this, he should have got help, not after he kills a 10-year-old girl and sexually assaults her. Billy, you're making a great point. The fact that the investigation is far from over. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. Follow up on this perpetrator. Obviously, I would like to know what the components were, what the prescription was, the recipe that created this monster, because that's what he is. He's a monster. And, you know, um, we cannot let this little girl die in vain. Uh, so if we can find out what the components were, what the what 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 things took place in this young man's life that caused him to become this monster, that we could prevent it again, then she would not die in vain. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of work to be done uh, by the detectives and the investigators in this case. Obviously, the crime scene is going to be very important. Even though he confessed, we're still going to want physical evidence that's going to tie him to the actual murder. Uh, like you said, you want a nice, neat package, eyes dotted, T's crossed. So that way there's uh, no chance of uh, this guy uh, slipping out of uh, the the, uh, the justice system. 
you know, when you uh, are assigned to a homicide investigation, uh, that victim, uh, you're speaking for that victim and you have the obligation to seek out and get justice for that victim. So I'm sure that the detectives in this case and, and the police agencies that are investigating this uh, are doing the right thing. Uh, they actually sent the body to another jurisdiction to actually it was to another state because they, they didn't feel that the, uh, the uh, coroner's office or the medical examiner's office in that specific county was capable of doing a uh, in-depth examination of the body. Uh, so I thought that was a good move on their part. Uh, listen, we want all evidence that is present to be recovered and be tied to the perpetrator in this case. So that move alone shows me that they're, uh, you know, they're, they're going in the right direction and they're making the right moves on this case. Milwaukee civilian, that's a very good question. How do police like those first on the scene process such horrors? And, you know, I, I as you guys know, I, I was in uh, homicide for 10 years in Manhattan North, which is one of the busiest places in the city. And it wasn't one precinct. We covered 13 precincts. So whenever there was a murder, a shooting, or her, a horrendous crime, we would respond to that. So w the way I had said that you process things like this is to have a good life outside the police department. That's how I processed it. Uh, I did positive things for myself. I worked out as often as I could, five, six days a week. I had a positive, strong family life, uh, a good relationship with my kids. That's how I process it because I saw horrors. I saw horrors. Phil also, we were both 9-11 first responders. I, that was, that was uh, look, that was 2001. That was some of the, up until that point, that was some of the worst conditions of dead human bodies I had ever seen in my police career. And I worked at the morgue numerous times. I wasn't assigned there, but I saw bodies in the condition that I don't even want to talk about right now. And then after that, <laughs> I got assigned to homicide uh, shortly thereafter. So it was 10 years of almost seeing nothing but horrors. And do you ever get used to it? No, you don't get used to it. You don't, if you lose your what makes you a human being, then you shouldn't be in homicide. So you never get used to it, but you learn how to put up that, that hard exterior so you can deal with it. And that's about all I can say. Milwaukee civilian, uh, great question. Yeah, Billy, I just want to expand on that a little bit. You brought up um, what we go through, like in my career, I, you know, from the first couple of days on the job, dead bodies, uh, you see people that are in their, at their worst moment of their life, whether they're robbery victims, sexual assault victims, homicide victims. But I got to tell you this, of all the things that I saw and all the things that I did, I was in two shootouts and they're all traumatic things. Like you said, you work out, you have a good family life. These are the the things that you do to get through it. And listen, uh, law enforcement officers have a very high suicide rate, probably related to the horrors that they see. But I'm going to say this, 9-11 was something that to this day, I don't think my brain processes it as an actual event. It was just so unbelievable. Uh, really, that topped everything that I ever did in my career. Uh, that was probably the worst horrific thing that I ever saw uh, and experienced. I was down there for about seven weeks uh, almost two months, like you said, and the daily things that you saw and, and just that first minute of being down there and seeing those 210 story buildings collapse to the ground and the devastation, it was like, uh, my brain just didn't want to process it. So yeah, uh, having a good family life exercise, working out, obviously that's one of the best relievers of stress. Uh, that's 
how I did, and, and you brought it up, Billy, that's how you did. And I think most offices that go through these traumatic events, that's probably how they deal with it as well. And then there are the times that you go, you know, you need counseling, you need uh, psychological counseling. After 9-11, I think every member of the police department that was down there was required to go uh, speak to a uh, counselor. And uh, yeah, it definitely helps. Uh, you know, that's why I guess we have such a high suicide rate in law enforcement as well. Diana McGinn, Mr. Ken, and I have deep respect for the work you've done. Thank you so much. Believe it Thank or not, you. that means a lot to us when we of course. Hear, people, hear people acknowledge our service and that policing isn't just a job. It's uh, it's a calling. Uh, uh, Gerda Katsi, I won't be able to handle anything like that. I won't be able to deal with something like that. Sergeant Bill, well, Gerda, you know that, and that's maybe a good reason you didn't go into policing or something like that, you know, or being an EMT or, so, you know, where you see a lot of uh, death and, uh, you know. Eddie Stackpole says, a good life and dark humor. Yeah, that's, that's true, too. Humor helps. Humor definitely. That's why cops sometimes, you know, after a traumatic event, we go out drinking. And I asked Dr. Washkel, who was a famous NYPD uh, suicide prevention doctor, and I said, Doc, if you do that, is that okay? He goes, absolutely. He goes, as long as you're not doing it six nights a week. <laughs> he goes, you yeah, you can't time. overdo it. So you can't you overdo it. We're going out and talking about what happened over a couple it's, of cocktails. It's relieving the tra trauma that you went through. And I think for me, anyhow, and anybody that I worked with, you know, you could be standing over a dead body uh, investigating a homicide. And if you don't have that little bit of levity, I mean, you know, maybe to, to, to be able to, you know, maybe crack a joke or laugh a little bit, not about the person, just something that has nothing to do. I can remember being over a dead body and talking about the Sopranos, let's say the night before something like that. And just discussing it or else it becomes too personal. And I think that, uh, that's when people won't be able to release it and they'll just hold it inside of them. And that's when you'll wind up with a person that could wind up being suicidal. So if you do see a picture in a newspaper or a clip on the news and you see detectives standing over a dead body and they might have a smile on their face or talking about something, it's not to disrespect the person that's dead. It's really not. It's just a way that we are able to get through uh, such a horrific thing, uh, a horrible thing. And that's, that's my experience. I mean, I, maybe not every detective or every police officer is going to agree with me, but that's what I felt. And that's what we did to, uh, to get through it. And again, like you said, you know, at the end of it, a lot of times cases could get solved when you go to the bar at the end of the night and have a couple of cocktails and you start to, uh, uh like you always say, Billy, what's, what's the word you say? I say spitballing, but you say we do oh, hypothesize and theorize. There it is. There it is. So, uh, you know, it's it's you're releasing it and you're also going over it. So that's a good thing, too. You know, that's part of the investigation. You know, you're throwing things out and then you might have that aha moment when you're having that cocktail in a bar, you know. So. That's for sure. Boston Christian, evil walks on this earth. What has happened to this poor child to cause this? Children are not evil. However, Boston Christian, evil can get inside people like this 14-year-old boy. Absolutely. Somehow evil took over him. And uh, so I've seen evil. I've looked in the eyes of evil. Oh, all right? I put handcuffs on evil. All right. So Many believe times. me, I know, I know what I'm talking about and I respect your faith and your religion. However, we've both Phil and I looked in the eyes of evil and taken it down, you know, so we know what is, we know what this is about. I want to play a little bit more of this. So you guys get a, 
an understanding of how the, the news is reporting this. Bill, I just that... want to make one comment before you play that. Um, I, I, of many cases, of many victims that I was present for homicides, there's just something about children that stays with you. It's all, you know, you feel for every one of the victims when it's a child. It just, it, it really gets you in the pit of your stomach, you know? Absolutely. At her elementary school in Chippewa Falls, she vanished late Sunday night. Yeah, her body and bike found near a walking trail not far from where she was last seen. Now schools are recommending parents pick up and drop off their kids who walk to school. And Jen has details on this investigation. Jen? Yeah, and Jan, Chris, we do not yet know Lily's cause of death. And the police chief said it's not clear if she was targeted by someone she knew. This all began Sunday night. That is when Lily's father reported her missing after she did not come home from her aunt's house just a half mile or so away. Police then found a bike in the woods near a walking trail in Brewery parking lot before finding Lily's body in the same area yesterday morning. Police are now asking for tips from the public and telling people to be on the lookout for anything suspicious. Chippewa Falls is a safe community. This is a very rare occurrence. However, we, we have to be cognizant uh, to the fact that uh, it will require some additional vigilance. Lily was in fourth grade at an, at an elementary school in Chippewa Falls. The school district says it has counseling services available. Gia. Yeah, really tough story there, Jen. Thank you. Now the community. So obviously that report was prior to them finding uh, Lily's body, prior to them of having a uh, suspect under arrest. Who now it seems has turned out to be her, uh, excuse me, turned out to be her cousin. I want to talk a little bit about um, the crime scene and and putting the evidence together because this case right now, as far as we know, is going to go through adult court. He's going to be tried as an adult until we learn otherwise. One of the things, of course, he confessed. Now, will they be able to match up the evidence to his confession? That's they don't have to, but if it does match. That makes the forensic work by the pathologist and the evidence collected by their crime scene unit, that makes the evidence even that much stronger. He's obviously confessed to strangling her, to hitting her with a stick, punching her in the stomach, and then sexually assaulting her. Is there going to be semen on the body? And for you folks that can't handle this, this is adult investigation. This is an adult crime. doesn't get any, any worse than this. So I would spell out the evidence, what they're going to be looking for. They're going to be looking for bruising around the neck. He said he strangled her. Is there, during the autopsy, did they find bruising? Is there petechial hemorrhaging in the whites of the eyes, which is indicative, not, not the only uh, indication of possible asphyxia, but one of them, all right? So bruising around the neck, asphyxia in the whites of the eyes, excuse me, petechial hemorrhaging in the whites of the eyes, other bruising on and around the body. He knocked her off a bike. I mean, she's bound to be uh, banged up. The other thing is the person arrested, the 14-year-old boy arrested. Let, let's look at his body. Does he have bruises? Let's photograph his body. Let's take the clothing he was wearing when he did this assault. All of this stuff is very important. Let's see if his fingerprints or his DNA are on her bike. I think that's not as important now as it was prior to us knowing who the perpetrator is because he's admitting he did it. And he's admitting he's been with her. He's admitting he knows her. So could he have touched her bicycle prior to this, uh, this crime? Yes, he could have. So again, that type of evidence isn't as important as it had been if this perpetrator was a stranger. 
but he's known too. So again, we put all of this evidence together. The pathologist, of course, very important, the one who conducts the autopsy, and match up all of this evidence with his confession. And then any new evidence that we have, you want to build as strong a case as possible. Uh, collect the bike, of course, and you know, photograph the scene. All of those things are tremendously important. Bill? Yeah, Billy, uh, I think you're making some really good, valid points. Uh, based on his statements, uh, we want to make sure that he's not the patsy for someone else that committed this crime. And he's going to know specific things. Like, for instance, uh, he punched her in the stomach. There could be a bruise in her stomach. He hit her with a stick. Where did he hit her? Is there going to be bruising where he hit her? Uh, again, the DNA is going to be part of it. You mentioned there could be possibly semen. Um, are there scratches on his body from defensive wounds and when she was fighting uh, for her life? Uh, all the descriptions of what he tells, they want to see if if the forensic uh, follow-up, the, the, the uh, autopsy, uh, the findings are going to match. So that way we say 100%. He said this. We know that uh, she was struck. Let's say she was struck in the, in the left arm. There's a bruising in the left arm around the bicep. He said he struck her around the bicep. So, again, it's all going to match up. Uh, it just makes it more uh, powerful and more, uh, you know, very strong on uh, details of the case when it does go to trial, if it, in fact, does go, go to trial. Uh, so there will be no doubt as to who is responsible for this crime. And yeah, like, like you said earlier on, there's uh, a lot of work to be done post arrest. There always is. And, uh, I'm sure that these, uh, investigators are going to do what they have to do. They'll do their due diligence. That's for sure. Patty Banks. Thanks for the 199 super chat. Your question, do police have counseling sessions for stress? Yes, we do. Not enough. Uh, I don't think there's enough. I think they're trying to, on the NYPD, they're trying to mandate it now that an officer goes X amount of times a year, twice a year to see a counselor and um, to call everyone in so it's not viewed as a, um, you, you know, as something that just the crazy person would go to because that's, you know, the police department refers to people like that. The alcohol uh, rehab facility um, for cops is referred to as the farm. There are no animals. There's no cows. There's nothing. It's upstate, so it gets called the farm. That's just as cop humor, you know? So, of course, going to counseling, they used to call when, when you had to uh, get modified. They'd say you were in the rubber gun squad because you weren't allowed to carry. I just going to bring that up. So all of these, all of these yeah. police-isms, uh, you know, there's humor involved, but, you know, no one wants to be what's known as a rubber gunner. That means you got some mental health problems, and you, they took your guns from you because you can't be trusted to have guns. So there's always humor to all of this stuff, whether it's funny or not to people in the outside world, it might not be, but the cops, you know, when we say, oh, Joey gets sent up to the farm, everyone knows what they're talking about. He's not going to, you know, be milking cows or uh, plowing fields. He's in alcohol rehab, you know? So all of these things are crazy. One of the things I wanted to mention was um, this 14-year-old boy, uh, they asked for $1 million bond. And that's what the prosecutor asked for. The judge, um, Benjamin Lane, was the judge. He agreed. The judge agreed. Of course, the defense wanted it lowered to 100000 which I don't believe that the judge will go for. Uh, is he a danger to the community? He's a danger to himself. He's a danger to the community. Yeah. Uh, is he a flight risk? They made a big deal out of the fact, oh, he doesn't drive. You'll people that know him drive, they can take him away, you know? So yeah, he is a flight risk because he's facing life in prison. 
Folks, this is Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. If you're not subscribed to us, please go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, ring that bell. And if you want to support us, we have a Patreon with three different levels. And you see the folks in the chat with the green font. They're part of our YouTube Police Off the Cuff family. And, and we have five different levels to that. We'd appreciate your support. Yeah, you know, Phil, I, as you said before, um, I, I don't even remember how many kid cases, kid murder cases I worked. There are lots, you know, way more than double figures, you know. And most of them were, I had a lot of infant death cases. I, you know, the death cases where uh, a mother would roll over on an infant and suffocate the child to death. I can't tell you how many of those we had. And not all of those were prosecutable, but some of them were because the mother was told not to bring the child into bed with her, you know. And I think almost every mother, you know, uh, if you know anything about uh, childbirth, mothers are exhausted. So, and especially if they're breastfeeding, they want the child in bed with them so they don't have to keep getting up and bringing the child to them as the child, um, you know, cries. The other thing I've seen a lot, a, a lot of is just, you know, child abuse deaths, murders that were, you know, tough to prove. But, you know, just you're right. It takes child deaths take a huge... Um, piece of your heart. Yeah, they really do. And they're tough to deal with. And those are the kind of cases that, you know, you bring home with you sometimes, you know. The case that I uh, referenced earlier with the 10-year-old girl that was nearly killed, stabbed, uh, sexually assaulted by the 13-year-old. Uh, within the day or two after the actual incident, we made the arrest that day. We had to go to the hospital and we, we bought a little teddy bear. We bought a little couple of balloons to bring to the kid. We had to do an interview with that kid, a 10-year-old kid. And to hear uh, that 10-year-old uh, rehash those things, that was the hardest part of it. I mean, hearing her say the things that went on, it's just, I think that's the thing that stood with me the most about that case. Uh, and any case involving children, they always just seem, uh, they seem to take a little bit more of a toll on uh, the investigator, as opposed to just you know uh, when an adult is is uh, assaulted or killed, or there's just something about kids. I don't know. I've always had a soft spot in my heart for children and for the elderly as well. You know, I guess of course they really don't have uh, the ability to uh, defend themselves, so uh, that always strikes a, a real chord in my heart. Yep, absolutely. The lady is a tramp. I grew up at risk. Tons of my stepmom's family is in prison for rape and murder. I was around these people in my younger years since I was five. So I'm sick about these people. I got away. Well, lady is a tramp. I'm so happy you did get away. God bless That's you. That's really um, a child at risk describing the surroundings that, that you came for, uh, came from. Uh, it's just, it's just hor horrendous. And you know, one of the things that I, I repeat and many times the abused becomes the abuser. And that's, what's scary about, kids that come from these backgrounds. And no doubt this 14-year-old kid that murdered 10-year-old Lily, he was probably an abused kid. You know, And I'm not giving any out. I'm not uh, giving him any excuses for the heinous crime that he committed. But as I said, the abused becomes the abuser. And we've seen that so many times before. Yeah, that's obviously the profile of uh, individuals that, do this kind of stuff. Uh, it's just uh, something that we've gone through. It's an experience uh, that we've lived through many times. And uh, when you look at the background of the perpetrator, 
Most of the time they've either been severely uh, physically abused or physically and sexually abused. So that's one of the traits that we'll see in, in this case, I'm sure. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's just very unfortunate, Billy, uh, that we have to be doing a story on stuff like this, uh, doing a show on this topic, uh, this little young girl. Uh, it's just terrible. Uh, when you see people like that list, uh, comment that was up that uh, they get away from it. They have the state of mind to get away from it. She's 10 years old. How could she have gotten away from it? You know, it's, uh, it's just terrible. Um, I just wish, and, 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 you know, it's too late now, but I wish somebody could have uh, gotten her away from the situation uh, that she was obviously exposed to. Yeah. Just, you know, th th this picture here, just uh, where she has the braids in her, that just, breaks my heart you know absolutely absolutely unbelievable so let's let's see uh, phil we're going to go to a quick 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 uh commercial break and uh you got it going on i think <laughs> joe murray attorney at law have you found yourself in a jam are you in need of legal counsel in the new york area do you need a victim's advocate well joe murray is your man he's not only an experienced trial attorney he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He literally knows both sides of the fence. His website is jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702. Or you can email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. John Beatty Law, www.jbeattylaw.com. John Beatty is a renowned personal injury attorney. He's also retired as a decorated NYPD sergeant. For over 15 years, John has litigated some of the largest accident and malpractice cases and verdicts slash settlements in the country. John comes from a proud NYPD and FDNY family. He was an active sergeant in Brooklyn North and supervised in the legal bureau. John is a proud member of the Honor Legion and the Blue Knights. John Beatty litigates across the country for seriously injured victims and has helped recover over $200 million for grieving families. Call John now for a free consultation. John Beatty, 917-797-9520. Hey, Bill, I so want to make a comment on, on a, um, a person in the chat. Butterfly Dana says, victims of abuse need to get counseling to break the cycle. That is a very, very important uh, comment to make in the chat. That's very, very smart of you to say that. Uh, we need to break the cycle of violence. Uh, obviously there was nobody around to get this kid into counseling, or maybe he was, I don't even know, but, uh, apparently whatever did take place, uh, we're going to find out about his history, his past. And, uh, yeah, that's a good point. Let's break the cycle of violence, get counseling for people that are, uh, subjected to traumatic, uh, traumatic events. Marilyn Mineta, I admire you guys. It takes a special person to become a police officer. I think you guys are amazing, wonderful people. We don't have enough people to support the men and women in blue. God bless you all. Thank you, Marilyn. Thank you. We, we really appreciate that. Um, so, folks, th th this case is, uh, you know, it, I don't think it gets um, much worse than this. You know, this is the uh, uh, homicide and the, the, the sex crime against a 10-year-old girl is just, you know, I, I don't know if the uh, officers in the Chippewa Falls Police Department see much of this type of thing. I would imagine it's a sleepy, quiet little area in Wisconsin that they don't really get this type of crime. Not, not like you get in big urban centers and, and large cities where we get a lot of this type of crime. And it, it really, 
not only does it put a mark on the police, but the neighborhood and the community. Don't you think the whole community is going to be suffering over this? Not as much, of course, as this little girl's family, little Lily Peter's family, but the whole community is, and this, how about the school? How about her classmates at school? Just, she's a 10-year-old girl. How do you explain that to other 10-year-old girls, what happened to her? I'm sure that there'll be counselors at the school that uh, would uh, be able to, you know, sit down and talk with these kids and uh, try to come to some type. I don't even know what they would say, some type of an explanation for such a horrific thing. But uh, you would think that a lot of times when there's uh, traumatic events that take place, uh, that they do provide counseling for the uh, for the students, uh, you know, uh, in the school where uh, Lily went, where Lily attended. So I would hope, I think that's almost a, an absolute that they're going to provide counseling for those kids. And of course, they're going to have questions, you know, like the little girl that uh, I referenced in the early uh, clip that you played, where she said, I have no words, you know, think about it, a little, uh, probably about the same age as uh, as Lily. She has no words. So yeah, there, there are no words for something like this. But no. again, uh we want to try and provide counseling for these kids that uh, they are going to have questions. They're going to want to know, uh, you know, some type of uh, reason as to what happened, you know, so uh, I'm sure that'll be done. Uh, Desi, they talked to nearby Barron County who handled the Jamie Kloss case. Yeah, I was uh, watching that. I just didn't want to bring that up because I thought that would confuse this case a little bit, but we'll, we, we could get into that another time. Uh, AO, uh, Bill and Phil, congrats on producing a fantastic channel. Thank you so Thank much, you. AO. Janine uh, Schaffel, um, sometimes when you were abused as a child, it takes years to remember it happened. You just remember vague details. because Very good point. It, but it can come out in other ways that you don't even realize that it comes out. It may be, you know, you have self-destructive uh, behavior and you don't know why, you know. Uh, so, yeah, it's... Um, Rat 507, if I heard correctly, bail was 1 million cash bond. That's correct. Uh, he's 14 years old. Uh, I, I don't agree with that, Billy. I think there should have been remand 100%, even though it's a lot of money and the, the kid probably is not going to be able to raise it to family. But why even have a bail on a situation like this? It should. He confessed. It's not even like well, we're going to try and prove the case. He confessed. There's going to be the evidence. Should have been a remand. I don't agree with that. I'm very, uh, very disturbed about that, to be honest with you, Bill. Eddie Stackpole, uh, retired NYPD detective. He had a person throw a baby out a fifth floor window 30 seconds after birth. He thinks about the baby every day. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, um, those are, um, you know, things like that stay with you. Uh, lady is a tramp. Guys, I'm sharing with you not to feel sorry for me, but to shine a light on these abused families. Well, thank you, ladies of tramp. That's very generous of you to, uh, to share your experiences and you know because of course many people don't can't commiserate they don't have haven't had experiences like that but everyone is a human and they can understand uh what what uh what's what's going on you know it's just what's happened in these type of cases but very difficult think of a school teacher trying to explain to 10 year old lily peters class what happened to little lily how do you explain that? And I think they have to do it somehow. You can't just, oh, where's Lily? Oh, she's not coming back. You know, that's like dishonest. You have to, this is, you know, it's life. It's the horrible things of life. But you have to be honest with 10-year-olds, even 10-year-olds, because 
they're going to suffer for this. They're all going to mourn little, um, little Lily, you know, and they're all going to not see her in class anymore. And I think like, as Phil said, they will be counseling from the school level. And that's something that's so imperative. Just as we said, there should be counseling for cops, you know, there's should be way more counseling than there is because a, an example that there's not enough counseling for police officers is the amount of suicides that you see every year of police officers that maybe, you know, 50% of them could be prevented if they had received counseling, you know? So, um, you know, again, cops need it, right? Little, little 10 year old kids need it after their classmate is brutally murdered. They need to explain you can't explain it, but they can't ignore it. Let me put it that way. Billy, just think about it. Uh, she went to school, maybe uh, doesn't even have to be kids in her own grade, kids younger than her, kids older than her. They may have played with her in the schoolyard. They're going to have questions. And uh, I think that's important to uh, catch it early. Uh, you know, these kids could go around having nightmares about this and it's terrible. You know, it's a traumatic event, even to the uh, little classmates at her school. So, uh, yeah, that that's an important thing that we do, that we follow up with uh, counseling. Again, in law enforcement, there probably isn't enough. Like you said, there needs to be more. And uh, a lot of times it's a macho thing, too. You know, police officers are trained to go into these uh, dangerous situations. And uh, you sort of get a little bit taken back when somebody says, oh, you know, would you like to go for counseling? I mean, it was mandatory when I was in the shooting both times. You were you could not get back to full duty as a police officer without seeing a psychological counselor, uh, whether it be a psychiatrist or just a counselor. But you couldn't get back to full duty until you did. And a lot of times it was just a short uh, interview, you know, to make sure that you're okay. Were you having nightmares, stuff like that. But, uh, I think the idea of having periodic counseling with police officers is a gr good thing. Just like you go to the range twice a year in the NYPD, seeing a counselor once or twice a year might not be a bad thing because there's things that you're going to see that, you know, that may be bothering you. You're not going to tell your peers. You may not tell, uh, your, your sergeant, or, or a fellow police officer or detective, but maybe in that moment in the uh, counseling session, you may talk about it and you're able to release that, uh, that traumatic event, you know? So that's a good thing. It won't come back to bite you later on down the line. Absolutely. Peter rabbit. Was it a cousin or a cousin's friend? One channel reported cousin's friend, Peter rabbit. Okay. I can't verify that for you now. I'm getting this information from people in the chat. Uh, if I don't get it, um, from a news organization and it's been verified, I don't report it as fact. So I'm just hearing right now, I can just say it's rumor. He's a cousin. So again, unless we have someone come across and say, uh, this is a fact, he's, he's our cousin. I can't report it as that. Uh, we'll find out the truth. Uh, so, um, Desi, I feel so bad for Lily, the entire family on both sides. This is going to rip them apart. And despite their faults, they are still family, the law enforcement in the town. Yeah, we were just mentioning, Desi, how this is a traumatic situation for the entire Chippewa Falls uh, community, the police department, the families, 10-year-old classmates of this little girl, the 14-year-old classmates of the perpetrator, this boy. I'm not putting his name out there yet. Uh yeah, uh, just a horrendous, horrendous situation, you know. Uh, uh, Janine Saffel and the eighth grade kids need help to understand. Of course. You know, I just said that, Janine, absolutely. How do you, you can't explain this. This is some of the things in life that 
are unexplainable. And I mean, counselors, clergy, they'll try to explain it to us. I don't think you can really explain this. You can just try to soothe the people and persons and groups of people that are going to be hurting uh, from this. Bill? Uh, how, last, Phil, last words. Last words. Billy, I got to say, there's two points I want to make. Number one, uh, we try to keep the integrity of the show uh, by not, we didn't mention the boy's name that was actually reported on the internet because of his age. And again, we won't report things that are not, uh, like you said, they haven't been verified through the media. If a, a major media outlet reports it, then we will then go ahead and report it. The other thing I wanted to say is I love doing the podcast. It keeps me connected to law enforcement. I'm, I can't say thank you enough, Billy, for bringing me on as the co-host. Uh, what I hate is I hate doing a story like this. I just, it, it troubles me to even talk about it, to discuss it. But I think that the one thing that we might get out of it is if we can talk about it, explain to people, and possibly some child somewhere is not allowed to go into a situation that could place them in harm, then I think that uh, what we're doing is uh, is a great thing. And uh, again, I love the podcast. I just hate doing a story like this. But unfortunately, it happened. And us talking about it, what good could come out of it? Maybe there's going to be some child that might be saved from harm and that's really what I look for. And uh, lastly, prayers and Godspeed to uh, Lily Peters and her family. I just hope that this little child rests in peace. And uh, we're going to obviously seek justice for her. You know, Phil, I, I like having you on the show as a co-host, although I was looking for a taller guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll have to put lips in my shoes. I couldn't happen. resist. Copy humor has to come through at the worst times, but I, I couldn't resist. Folks, you know, again, this is a horrendous, horrendous story. Uh, we actually just decided to cover this this afternoon when we uh, heard a lot about it. And um, it's a horrendous case, but these are the type of cases that we deal with uh, all the time in, in law enforcement. Uh, Ashley Higgins, um, y'all are my favorite. Thanks for doing all you do. <laughs> Ashley, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. For, thank you for the y'all, too, you know. Uh, I love that that kind of uh, you know accent. We're getting what I'm hearing. Kind of it, you know? I like that. I like we don't get a lot of yours. Sounds like a in, southern accent. Yeah, we don't get a lot of yours in New York. Uh guys, uh, thank you again uh so much for um for listening. And uh I'm supposed to be, supposed to be going to Florida tomorrow for about five days and uh hopefully I'll I'll have some fun there and I'll i I'll, I'll do some recordings from there, maybe you know catch a fish or two. Guys, thank you again so much for listening. God bless and have a great day. Stay safe, everyone. One episode, just ain't enough.